your Bible, whether it's in the, in the book, the physical book, it's nice to be able to underline and stuff as we follow along. Or if, it's, uh, if you've got it on your, uh, your phone, like some of our techies here do, uh, that's okay too. You, you can find ways to underline and, and work with that, absolutely. But, uh, but uh, we're going to we'll start working with the, the actual text of the Bible a little more in here on Sunday mornings because we believe that the Bible is authoritative, it's inspired. You know, nothing that I say up here is significant because... I'm the one who's saying it. Uh, believe it or not, it has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's significant because God has spoken these things. And so, and so that's, why we, uh, that's why we spend time actually just going through the Bible, looking at the Bible, because we believe that, that what God has to say is important. So uh, I want to I tell you something about myself and give you a story of how I was formed. So I'd like let you in on a little secret. I love freedom. I love freedom. Freedom is a very good thing for me to have. Uh, and so, there, you know what? Uh, as I've grown up, there, I've actually been trained to love freedom. Like, as I, I've grown up, like, I am an American. And I have so much freedom as an American. As I, I, I was raised in school and all of these things. And so, I wanna, what I want to do for you is I want to string together a few cultural messages that have formed me to love freedom. So, uh, so I'm an American, yes, of course, meaning I am free. And, and being an American and being free, like, this is the most significant thing about my identity as an American, right? Because when I grew up in school, they told me, you're an American and you are free. Like, this is what this means. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some, some cultural messages that I like to string together. This is the first cultural message that I'd like to show you. Oh, we know who this is. So, so this is the guy who said, They can take our lives, but they can never take our... Oh, my goodness. That's... Gosh. You can do it better. So this is what's going to happen. I'm going to keep making you feel really awkward until you say it loud enough to my satisfaction. Okay, so, so they can take our lives, but they can never take our... There we go. Yes, that's right. For all I knew, this guy was an American, right? He, because he loved freedom, and he talked about freedom, and I was really small. Like, I could not differentiate, like, uh, whether he's Scott, like, whatever his nationality is didn't matter. All I knew is that, like, there was this one line that this guy spoke, and it was all about freedom. I'll give you the next cultural message that I had. I was going to go to college, right? And you know what I get to do in college? I get to pick a career for myself. Like, I get to pick a path that I'm going to walk on. I have freedom of choice. Where uh, at one point in my life when I was in school, I was forced to study certain things. But now, I get to pick what I'm going to study, right? Like, this is, so I, I have this, like, level of freedom in going to college, right? All right, I'll give you another cultural message that only some people will understand, but I have to explain it to you anyway. So, so this is a video game, and the name of this video game is called Oblivion, and I played this as I was growing up as a teenager, and this, this game gave me so much freedom of choice for my character. I could pick the facial features of my character. I could pick how far apart their eyes were and how big my character's nose was and, and what kind of hair my character had. Like I had, I had all of these options available to me. Like I am, I, I'm getting to make all of these free choices for this character that I want to build and then they're going to go like live this life in this other story, right? This is, this is what I'm given in, uh, in this game. So this was another thing that formed me. And then, and then finally... Uh, one thing that is currently forming me right now. Who, how many people have one of these? Chase Freedom. That is like the biggest oxymoron in the world. A credit card with the name Freedom, right? Because in the, in the implication is I can, I can spend because I, I have no limits on what I can spend, right? It's not limited to what's in my bank account, but I can actually like give, get as much as I can with that money, right? So these are things that have formed me. These are things that have shaped me. And if I've learned anything, it's that freedom or personal autonomy, independence, like these things are core to my identity. These are the things that have shaped me more than anything else. So in your Bibles, we're in First Peter chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 13. And I just want to give you a heads up on the front end. 
Over the next two weeks, we're going to be covering uh, some ideas that for the first century church that Peter was writing to, they were incredibly controversial ideas. And, and the reality is, as time has gone on, they have not stopped being controversial. As we even get into uh, our time today, we're going to discover that the ideas that are presented are actually really controversial. And so the teachings here that, that we're going to explore today, Jesus calls for these teachings. Like these are, these are things that Jesus said in his own teaching to his disciples. And then Peter simply repeats what Jesus has already taught. And so the undergirding concept is this. Behind everything that, that Peter is writing, this is the undergirding concept. Uh, trusting in and following Jesus should be so life-altering for you that it grinds against everything that seems natural. Like, this is, this is, it like confounds us what Jesus, the kinds of things that Jesus calls us to. They really don't make sense to us. They should kind of feel weird or awkward or difficult. They should not be natural to us. And so, so I'll warn you on the front end, uh, some people consider the concepts that, that we're going to talk about today and, and then next week, and this is what they say. They say, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, no thanks. Like, if that's, if that's actually what it means to, to go after and pursue and live a, a, the Christ life, then, then I'm okay. I, I don't really need that. Right? So I want to give you a big picture flow of the text that we're going to be working through today. Uh, there are three verses that really, really point out the flow. I just want you to have an idea of the direction that Peter is driving. This is what he says. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then in verse 18, he says the same thing. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And then in verse 21, he says again, for to this, and the this is subjection, you have been called. Like this is the big picture flow. He is calling people to something that we call submission. So I want to define submission. You could, you could call it submission, you could call it deference, you could call it subjection, but, but the, the general idea laid out here is that it literally means under control of someone else. You're under somebody else's control. So, so how that plays out is, is actually in what you do, you display a willingness to yield to another's authority or will. You display a willingness to yield to another's authority or will. So, yeah, like, we're free. Like, this is the cultural message that we have, right? The question is, what do we use our freedom for? Because at its core, this is what submission is. It is a free and willing choice to let somebody else get their way. Or at the very least, to get your way secondarily. It's actually a denial that that my way is important, that I actually, I'm going to let somebody else get their way. So, a note, this is, this is going to feel very challenging for modern-day Americans. Like, the message that, that we have been given is that, like, personal autonomy, independence, these are the, the most significant things about me. And so, uh, so we have these, these messages that say, hey, uh, stand up for yourself. Take what's yours. Build your own kingdom, right? Protect your assets. These are the messages that we have. In fact, the, the Declaration of Independence says that uh, all men are endowed with certain unalienable, uh, my goodness, unalienable rights, like life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness, absolutely. Right? These are the, the messages that we're told, and those are valuable things, but here's the problem. We get no message in any of that about submission, and yet it's one of the most significant things that we're called to as, as Christians. So, so, yes, over the next two weeks, we're going to be confronted with these challenging ideas. So, uh, so Peter, he's writing to an audience, and before we get too far into it, we have to ask a question again, who is he writing to? And, and we've been going over this uh, several times, but we'll just remind one, once, one more time. Peter's writing to a people for whom the heat has been turned up. Like, they've, they've started to get, they've been kicked out of their homes. They're starting to get excluded in society. People don't want them around, right? This is just the reality that they live in. And so, so what he's been doing is he's been laboring. 
These people who have been kicked out, he has been laboring to make sure that they know what their identity is, to make sure that they, they know who they are in Jesus. And so, so this is what he calls them, actually, in an earlier verse, in verse 2-9, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. Like, these are all the things that he reminds them of. So, so you, know what, you know what Jesus has done? Let's remind you of your identity. He's taken people from different backgrounds and made them one people. He's taken people who used to be confused about who God was, and he's given them clarity about God. He's taken people who, who at one time cared about building their own kingdom, and he's now making them about building Jesus' kingdom. He's making people who were once betrayers of God, enemies of God, the Bible calls us, and now you're children of God. Like, this is what Jesus has accomplished for you. And so, so we realize that as we kind of live out our new identity, as we, as we live into these things that Jesus has done for us, what it does, and we talked about this last week, is it creates some challenge between us and the culture that we live in. It actually puts a target on us. Like, people... People don't want us around the more and more that we live into this identity. This is what Jesus tells us. This is what Peter seems to tell us here. And so, so the question then that we have to answer and that these people are naturally going to be asking is, okay, Peter, how do we live in a society that both killed our Savior and hates us? Like, what are we supposed to do? What hope do we have? How do we actually uh, do anything productive here? And so, so the next two weeks... We're going to look at Peter's answer to this question. So, acknowledge something on the, on the front end. The word that we're focusing on is submission. And that probably feels like a little like a dirty word to us. Can we be honest about that? So, I, I, I want to imagine, uh, imagine something for a minute. Imagine I told you that my wife and I were having a disagreement. And we were, we were talking uh, about something, and we just couldn't get, work, work, get it worked through, and we've been having this disagreement for several weeks. And I, I come to you, and I just mention to you that this disagreement is really challenging for me. And so, so, so some time passes, and you come back to me, and you say, Hey, Alex, you remember that disagreement that, that you had? How did, how did that go? How did that end up? And what I told you was, Oh, it's fine. I told her to submit. Right, like, you're not going to think, in fact, in that moment, when I tell you that, what's going to happen is your opinion of me is going to descend dramatically, right? Like, that's, you are going to have a very different view of me when I explain to you that that's what I told my wife. Imagine, so now imagine that you have a teacher who can't get control of their classroom. They have all of these disruptive kids all the time, and they're trying to figure out a solution, and so this is the solution that they come up with. They say, okay, I'm just going to tell my kids to submit. And I'm also going to send an email out to the parents and let them know my value for submissiveness in the classroom. You know what would happen? That teacher would get fired and their face would be on the front page of the New York Times. Like both of those things would take place because this word, it just carries all of these awful connotations to us. So then what if I told you that Peter, he looks at submission and he actually believes that it's the most compelling tool in the Christian's toolbox for how they reach their society. What if I told you that, that Peter actually, he sees submission and subjection and deference, he sees these things as the primary way that, that the Christian actually follows Jesus. Okay, so let's take a look. Verse 13, this is what he says. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So let's talk about human institutions for just a second. Human institutions are allowed and supported by God. They're actually put in place by God. Like, these are things that God has woven into the fabric of creation. So we could go all the way back to the beginning of creation and see when he, like, when he gives authority over creation to human beings, he says, you rule over it. Right In that moment, he instills an institution with point leadership, and we see this pattern continue through the rest of creation. We see it happen in, in the marriage at the beginning of Genesis. There's point leadership there. Now, next week, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're not going to get into it in, as much this week. I'll also let you know somebody else will be here to preach that for you next week, and so, uh, so we're switching. We're doing another switch. Uh, a pastor over in Carroll Stream and I are switching places, and so, so he'll be in here next week uh, to, to talk to you about that point leadership and the marriage thing, so that'll be exciting. Uh, but, uh, 
I want to talk to you about the institution because we tend to think that the existence of the institution, the existence of the point leadership, the existence of the structures in society, we tend to think that those things are the problem. And the reality is, is that that's not where the problem exists. The problem actually exists in the reality that there are broken people who are running and leading and operating those institutions, right? Like when we get issues in society and issues in systems, the problem is not the fact that there is a system, but the problem is the broken people who are running and operating the system. And this is what Peter is saying to his audience. He's saying, hey, even when brokenness, even when broken people make the, in the system make your life harder, you don't get the right to rebel against the institution. Like, even when your life is more difficult, you don't, you don't get to the right to, to kick back against the institution. Like, this is at the base of his thinking. This is the foundation of what he's saying. And, and that all of these spheres that we operate in, all of these institutions, the, the thing that we carry out, the thing that we take with us is subjection and submission. So, so today, we're actually going to look at specifically two of those institutions that, that Peter describes for us. So the first institution is this, uh, government. Human institution number one is government. And Peter says in government that we are to be subject, and then he goes on in verse 13, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So uh, before you think about, okay, how does this verse apply to me? Just a second here. Keep moving that. There we go. Before we think about how does that verse apply specifically to me, we we don't want to jump too quick to us before we consider Peter's context and what this means for them. Because their government were the ones primarily responsible for kicking them out of their homes. Like, if their life has any difficulty to it, it's only because their government made it happen. And so the fact that Peter is now writing to them and saying, hey, guess what? Submit to your government. When he says literally, when he says submit to the emperor, he's talking about Nero. Like the, the, the emperor Nero is one of the worst emperors in all of history. He, the, his persecution of Christians was intense. Like he actually lit Rome on fire and said it's the Christians' fault, so all the people would hate the Christians for what happened, right? So this is what the government does, and Peter looks at the government, and he looks at the emperor, and he says, hey, guess what? Submit. So let's ask you a question. How does how is it that government comes into being? How does it exist? And, and the Bible gives us a general idea that, hey, God uh, creates governments. He, he starts governments up. He sets the boundaries that, that governments have. He endows those governments with authority. And then uh, at the end of the day, those governments, wherever they are all around the world, they're there because God put them there. Right, so, so Donald Trump is president because God put him there. Now, those of you who just got nervous when I said that, uh, Barack Obama was president because God put him there, right? Like, we understand God has sort of sovereign authority over everything. Every government that exists, they exist under God's authority. The implication of this also, like, it stretches down even into local governments, Like, even to your police, even to your teachers, even to your mayors, to your principals, to your senators, all of these people are there and have been given a particular role to play in society, to to make these systems kind of work. So so then, um, that's, that's how it exists, because God puts it there, then why does it exist? And, and Peter gives us a clue as to why it exists, because he says they punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Like, why do we have laws in place? We have laws because laws are meant to, like, restrain evil in society, right? They stop us from just getting out of control. So now, um, let's jump forward in time. Let's go out of the Roman world, and let's, let's look at today. Because you are probably asking a question, hey, the government is doing things that I don't love. So, like, I pay taxes to the government, and, I, and should I still pay taxes when they're doing things that I don't love? Like, should I still continue to give money? Like, when, when the government actually wants to take my taxes, and if I think that abortion is wrong, which I personally do, like 100%, I believe that that is, like, uh, it, it, like deplorable. It's awful, right? That's not a good thing. And the government is doing it, and they're using my money to do it. 
So what do I do about that? Or, or when the government is using my money to build a curriculum that completely competes against my faith and actually wants to move my faith out of the public square in every way whatsoever, when, when I see that the government is doing these things and using my money to do it, like what do I do about that? And Jesus has a pretty simple answer for this because he understands that people have been instilled into certain roles for certain things. And this is what he says, Mark twelve seventeen. He says, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So you know what your job is? Because this is what you're going to be held accountable for. Your job is to play your role in society. And guess what? Your role in society is to pay taxes to Caesar. And you know what Caesar's job is? Caesar's job is to play Caesar's role and do as justly as he can with that role. And so he is going to, you both are going to be held accountable for the ways that you play your roles in society. And that's God's thing. God is the one who gets to hold accountable. You don't, in your role, get to hold accountable. Right? That's what he's saying. So God created the role, and the role is important. You play your role, they'll play their role, and everyone equally will have to give account for how they play their role. So, okay, so that's, that's the idea that we should submit. So now you might be asking the question, what good is submission? And Peter goes on to explain that, verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God. By the way, when he says, for this is the will of God, that's really, really strong language. For him to jump out and say, this is what God wants. This is God's like determined plan for you. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And that doing good is connected to submission. When it says doing good, he's connecting that idea to submission. And so in verse 16, this is what he says. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So this is what he's doing. He's saying, hey, Christian... Guess what? You are free. You are free from the power of the rulers of this world. Let's remind you of your freedom. You're not free because you're an American. You're not free because you had the opportunity to make all sorts of decisions in college. You're not free because William Wallace was on TV one day and he yelled out freedom like this. These things have nothing to do with your freedom. You're free because of what Jesus accomplished for you. It's because you were actually, in your uh, former identity, you were destined to rebellion against God. And Jesus paid the price for your rebellion. He actually gave you the right to stand before God as kids who are loved by God. So whatever the world might do to you, whatever power you think that the world has, at the end of the day, you're a recipient of God's grace, and God's power is what is ultimate in your life. God's definition of you is what is ultimate for you. So, you're free now because they're not your highest authority, those people who are oppressing you, but God is your highest authority. So, so now you have the freedom to, to choose what you're going to do with that, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to use that freedom. Peter's saying use that freedom to choose submission and subjection, and then when you do that, something happens. It says that you put to silence the, the ignorance of foolish people. Because when you use your freedom to choose submission and subjection, like when you willingly go along with whatever they're going to do to you, it takes away all the power that they have. Like this power that they think they're exacting on you, the ways that they're trying to coerce you, when you just kind of go along with it, because you're trusting a higher authority, it takes away their power. It silences them. It displays your confidence in God's power over against their power. And this is why Christianity exploded at the death of the martyrs. Because you had a bunch of people who would go to be burned publicly at the stake and they would not falter in their submission. But they submitted to the point of death and people looked on that submission and said their confidence is in something I can't understand in this world. And I want to know what it's about. That's what happened. These, this, uh, these, these things start to play out. Uh, Christianity starts to explode and people submit willingly, taking away the power of the ones who are trying to make them submit. So uh, a real quick aside, let's, just, let's talk about our reality today. I want to talk about our reality as Americans today because we have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
And this government that we have, like this, this citizenship that we have, it's actually an anomaly in history. The opportunities that we're given, we're, we're given appeals processes. We're given the right to petition. We're given the right to assembly. Like we have all of these great privileges given to us. And we have to acknowledge those because, because however bad we might think we have it right now, in history, we have it statistically far better than all of the rest of the world through all of the rest of time. We have a ton of opportunities that are given to us. And so I say all that to say simply, like, for us, one of the, the so what's is simply going to be, like, we need to be grateful for what God has given us here. Because it's possible for us to still submit and work through appeals processes. It's because we have these structures in our society that give us these opportunities. And there are opportunities that, honestly, Peter's audience didn't have. And so, so thank God that, that we have what we do. But it doesn't actually, it doesn't, we, we can't just look at that and say it diminishes our responsibility. No, we still have a responsibility to submit when the time comes. And so we're going to dig into that even a little more. So let's call out a question that we're all probably asking. Because you might hear me saying, okay, you're, you're telling me to submit in every situation. Like no matter what they ask of me, and, and actually no, that's not what I'm saying. There's, there's nuance here. It's not quite as black and white here. And so we need a framework through which to think about this. And, and Peter actually provides a framework. He gives us a way to process this role that we play in society. And so uh, I'm anticipating you that you have like a bunch of questions to say, what if they ask me to X, Y, or Z? Uh, I don't know what that thing that is, but you probably have 15 different what ifs in your head that you could think of. And you're saying, do I have to submit in this situation and in this situation? And I'm not actually going to be able to address all of those what ifs, but, but what we are going to do, hopefully, and this is what, what um, my hope is when we, when we get into this, is that we'll be able to provide a framework, something for you to have in your tool chest to think through, okay, in these situations, how should I operate? And so we're going to use the framework that, that Peter provides because this should help us to be able to develop a vision for what it actually means to honor the Lord in the ways that we operate in society. So verse 17 says this. It says, honor everyone. That is like, that's the big picture framework. Like as Peter is laying out how you are to operate in society, this is, this is the thing that he wants to lay in front of you. Honor everyone. Now let's talk about what it looks like to honor everyone, and he gives three things. He says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And you want to know how to operate in society, honor everyone, and let's talk about what that looks like. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So let's talk about honor for leaders, and this is, we're going to use a, yes, okay. So, uh, so we got uh, sort of uh, concentric circles, that's what that is. Concentric circles up here. So the, the first category is honor for our leaders. Uh, honor is a respect. It's a, it's a recognition of the, the authority that God has granted to them. And, and by the way, this is not like reluctant honoring. This is not passive aggressive obedience. No, this is joyful submission. This is what this is. Like we joyfully give credence to the role that God has placed this person in. So what could this look like? Like, when we get pulled over, we're recognizing the, the police officer's authority who pulled us over. And so, you know what we don't do? We don't get snarky with that police officer. We don't, we don't argue with that police officer. Uh, we don't make their job more difficult. And actually, what we do is we go over and above to make their life easier. Like, if there's room to pull over on the side of the road, you pull over extra far. So that they have plenty of space to come up to your car. If there's, and then when they give you the ticket, you say, Officer, I'm sorry, thank you so much for giving me this ticket. And then if you have to fight it in court, go fight it in court, right? So, like, but we honor the role that they've been given. We, we recognize that the Lord has placed them in that position. We have an honor for our leaders, and this applies to all of our leaders who have any sort of charge over us. We have a place of respect for, for what the role that God has given to them. Okay, so that's, that's the first category. The next category inside of that is this. We have a love for God's people. So this is prioritized, actually, over our submission to leaders in society. That's how, when Peter structures this passage in the way that he does, he's actually giving increasing priority to different things. So when it says fear God in the middle of these other two, what he's actually saying is fear God is the thing that should govern all of it, 
right? So, so uh, but he says lo- a love for God's people, this is crucial. So we pay special attention to the needs of individuals in the local church. Uh, in other places, this is called mutual submission, submitting one to another. That means we give a special deference to each other. We give of self, our time, our talent, and our treasure for the good of the body of Christ. We prioritize gathering together in worship, whether or not it becomes illegal, because we love each other. And while we, while we honor everyone in society, we have a special love. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, they take a special place of priority in our love and in our time. And so when they, when they take away our tax-exempt status, when, uh, we don't like stop giving to the church because they take away that tax-exempt status, right? Because we love the brotherhood. Like We're going to continue giving whether or not the government gives benefits to it. If it actually becomes illegal to like give to religious organizations, you know what? We're still going to do it because we love our brothers and sisters. We might have to find more creative ways to do it, but that doesn't diminish our responsibility to still love God's people, right? So that takes priority. And then finally, the governing factor over all of it is this, right in the center, central to every aspect of every role we play is fear of God. Now, this is not fear like a shaking our boots kind of fear. This is a fear that is a recognition of God's highest authority over everything. So, so this is actually what governs every single way that we operate in society. It never says to fear the emperor, but it does say to fear God. You recognize God's highest authority in everything. So in our church relationships, you know, we acknowledge that God is the highest authority. And so when we defer to our brothers and sisters, what we're doing is we, in, we ensure that we actually defer to them in a way that honors God, which means we don't let them do things that we know are going to be bad for them, right? Because we want to honor God. In society, we honor God first and foremost, even if it causes us to break the law, right? So what does, what does this mean? What are some practical examples of what this could look like? So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about what I'm going to do with this, like what this would mean for me. You know what I'm always going to do? I'm always going to preach the Bible in every single thing that it teaches, even the things that are most offensive in it, because it could become illegal one day. And it, even if it does become illegal, and even if they, if they, if they want to fine me for preaching the Bible, you know what, I'll let them fine me, and I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay that fine. And, and on top of that, I might buy them lunch as well, you know? Like, I want to go over and above to honor these people for the role that they're playing, right? But I'm not going to stop preaching the Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey God's call to stand up for the rights of the oppressed. This is uh, the unborn, the abused woman, the marginalized, the person who is objectively victimized by a misuse of power, right? God calls his people constantly throughout Scripture to stand up for the rights of these people. And so, you know what? I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I'm going to speak God's truth to power, even if it becomes illegal. And then, if they come to arrest me one day for saying those things, then I'll go. I'm not going to resist. I'll submit. But I cannot stop speaking truth to power. I cannot stop doing the things that God has called me to do. So this framework, this framework that Peter provides, it is the main point this morning. Like, if you get nothing else out of this morning, get this. This is how we carry out the Christian act of submission. Recognize God's authority, number one. Two, love God's people. Three, honor your leaders. Recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. Recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. Don't stop doing that. So, so you want to know how you live in a culture that doesn't want you around? Recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. You, wanna, you actually like want to put the gospel on display in the society that you live in? Recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. You want to reveal God's power to a group of people who want to ignore him? Recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. Like listen, so, so what does this mean about the Christian life? Ultimately, it means the Christian life is not at all in any way whatsoever about you getting your way. You actually getting your way, let's talk about what that does. You getting your way leads to you becoming an enemy of God. 
Like at the end of the day, that's the gospel speaks the truth to us using our own uh, autonomy and personal independence for things that are inherently against God. And so when we come to Christ, he forgives us for those things and then we are about getting his way. So the Christian life is dying to, to self in, in honoring of others. Ultimately so that we can see God get his way in everything. So that's the, the framework that Peter provides. Fear of God is primary Love for Christians is a high priority. And then in everything, we honor people for the role that God has given them. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the framework. And then he goes into the second institution, human institution number two, Roman slavery. So in 18, he says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So let's acknowledge the context real quick. Uh, slavery existed in Roman society, uh, and it was not like we understand slavery over uh, in America. Slavery in America was actually a much different thing. The slavery in, in, in Roman society was more like indentured servanthood. So when you actually became somebody's slave or somebody's servant, what that means is that it was taking you out of a very low place in society and giving you a place of status in society. It was actually helping you to be able, people who could not function in society actually had a way to function and provide for themselves and have money and ways to care for themselves. Like, this is what Roman slavery looked like. Now, at the same time, we have to acknowledge there were people who operated, like, this slavery system in really unjust ways. Ways that were not okay in any way whatsoever. But, um, but you might be asking the question, okay, so if that's the case, if there were people who operated this system in unjust ways, and, and the core of the system is actually, like, unjust as well, like, why doesn't he call out the institution? Like, why does he, in, in this case, condone the institution? Because that's what it looks like on the surface. And actually, like, his goal, think of who he's writing to. This is not a letter to people who are making policy. This is not a letter to government leaders. In fact, Peter recognizes he has no influence with those people. The people he does have influence with, the Christians, he's writing to people who are in the thick of whatever they're facing, of challenges with their, their masters and, and challenges with their government around them. And, and, and he's saying, so hey, you have an unjust master and you want to glorify God in that situation, this is how you're going to glorify God in that situation. You're going to submit. Right, so, so you're just acknowledging like th- this issue of Roman slavery. There's not a clear way that t- it connects for us, but, but for us, if we were to draw something out of us, out of this, this the most clear um, sort of illustration would be for us the boss-supervisor relationship. But even then, like we can quit our jobs, right? So like that's a privilege that, like if you quit, if you quit being a slave in that society, you threaten your very existence, your very livelihood, right? But this is, this is a different sort of situation for us. But, but we'll kind of look at it. And this is what Peter, if he could talk to us, this is what he would be saying. He's saying, even if your boss is a jerk, like, even when your boss is unjust and doing all sorts of things that he shouldn't be, you know what you need to do? Don't make his life more difficult because he's a jerk. You submit. So uh, I'll tell you how I messed this up uh, when I was, I worked landscaping and I did have a legitimately awful boss. And, uh, and if he's listening to this uh, someday, then he will hear that I said that about him and that's okay. Uh, so so uh, legitimately he, he was just not fun to work for. Like, and not that you have to be fun to work for, but he, like, he ridiculed me constantly. There was all of this uh, just a lot of pressure, and it was, it was really challenging, right? And so you know what I did? I failed at carrying out this call to submission in that relationship because I would get snarky with him. Like, I would disrespect him in certain situations, and, and I wouldn't even, like, recognize, like, my eyes were more on me protecting my pride in those situations than they were in glorifying God in that relationship, right? And Peter's calling us to glorify God in these relationships that we have. He's calling us to take our eyes off of protecting our pride and glorify God. So you want to know what gives God a lot of glory? Verse 19 says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Think of the people he's writing to. People who have endured a number of things that are beyond injustice. 
People who have been kicked out of their homes. And he says to them, this is a gracious, gracious, literally it's a gift. This is a gift. Because you're enduring suffering, being mindful of God. Like this displays God's glory in a really special way. So can we, let's just articulate then the core of what Peter is saying. Like if we could dig down into the heart of it. He's saying, hey Christians, pressure, it's going to increase. Things are going to get hard. And people will actually want you out because of the things that you believe. And in the midst of all that, Christians should be the best employees. Christians should be the most obedient citizens. Christians should operate in their spheres of influence with the most integrity. Christians should have the highest concern for human dignity. Christians should be offering up the most prayers for the president, whether that's a Republican president or a Democratic president. It doesn't matter. Christians should be the easiest students in the classroom. Christians should be the most cooperative neighbors. No matter what is coming against you, no matter what you're facing, this, this is a gift that we get to stand in our society and be those who are submitting. And so if we really establish that framework, that submissive framework, recognize God's authority, love God's people, honor your leaders. If we establish that in our lives, it should lead us, no matter what we think and no matter what they think about what we think, it should lead us to being the best people to have around. So verse 20 sums things up for us. This is what it says. It says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So listen, you know, there, there are a whole lot of awful things that you can do and get in trouble for. Like there, there are horrible things that you could choose to walk down and they could cause a lot of trouble for you. But you know what reveals the character of God more than anything else? It's that when you're doing good, you know, like, God loves to see this. Like, it, it attributes great honor to God, and God recognizes it, and he values it. It's so like, when you're doing good, you're submitting. Like, his people are in the middle of joyful submission in places where there's injustice and oppression coming against them. So God loves it when we seek the good of the city, when we love our neighbors, when we respect authority, when we contribute to the flourishing of the companies that we work in, all while honoring his authority above all else, no matter the circumstances that might come against us because we're Christians. So it's worthwhile to name a reality then, and that is this, sometimes following Jesus means losing influence. This is why he reminds them, like, continue to do good. No matter, like, what comes against you, continue to do good. And even in doing good, even in honoring God above all else, we might face suffering for doing that, and, and the world might dishonor it, but, but God honors us for it and sees it as a precious gift. Okay, so what? There are two, one of them we already talked about, but, but be thankful, number one, be thankful for your privileges. So like, we have uh, many rights as Americans, we have HR departments. Like, that is an amazing gift, right? We have legal pathways available to us. We can quit our jobs and not completely ruin our livelihood. We can find a job somewhere else. Like, many of us have those opportunities. So just be thankful. Like, be thankful for what we actually do have. Number two, then. Sorry, number two. We don't make demands, we submit. We don't make demands, we submit. When we walk into our society, when we feel like uh, more and more ground is being taken from us, when we get frustrated for us, you know, we don't make demands, we submit. So why, why would we make demands? Like, I just want to, like, park on that for a second. Why would we choose to make demands of the people and our, our people who are over us and in charge of us? And I think, like, the core of it is we have some kind of reliance on this world. We have some kind of reliance on something that this world has to offer us, but our message 
is about the gifts that we have beyond this world. So when we demand things of other people, you know what it does? It steals the power from our message. When we demand that people give us something, give us our rights, it steals the power of our message. But when we submit, like nothing shows the strength of our message more than submission. When we tell our superiors, hey, we don't need to demand anything because we already have everything we need in Jesus. You know what? That is a faith that is compelling in a society that doesn't want you around. We're going to transition into a, a time of communion. And as we do that, I just want to, I want to look at the end of this passage. Verse 21, this is what it says. It says, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. So when Peter calls us to submit, when he tells us this is like the highest value for how we operate in society, he's not calling us to do anything that our Savior didn't already do. Verse 22, he goes on and says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So let's just go back in time a little bit. Let's imagine Jesus. Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have a question for you. Can Jesus stop this arrest? He can, but he doesn't. Jesus is being interrogated by Herod. Can he stop this interrogation? But he doesn't. Jesus is being tried by Pilate. Can he stop it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, Pilate says, these people are saying you're king. Are you king? And Jesus says, yeah, man, you got it right. But he still doesn't take that authority to crush Pilate in that moment. But he submits to his authority. Jesus is being beaten by guards and he can stop it, but he doesn't. He's dragging his cross up to the mount and he can stop it, but he doesn't. Jesus is being nailed to the cross and he can stop it and he doesn't and they mock him for it and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why did he submit to such injustice all along the way? Verse 24 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's why he submitted. All along the way to every unjust oppressor, every ruler who abused their authority, he submitted so that you could be healed, so that you could stand before God forgiven. You know, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, today, he's extending to you the offer of forgiveness, of a right standing before a holy God. And this is what he says. He simply says, follow me. You know what? You've tried it your way long enough, and that leads to death but now you have an opportunity. I am extending to you an opportunity. You can't save your soul with the things that you might do, but I can follow me. So will you decide today to actually start following Jesus? If if you will, I'd encourage you, as we dismiss today, you can find me, you can find any other person up on the stage, but tell them, tell somebody, I decided to follow Jesus today. We want to encourage you in that. We want to help you out in that journey. Tell somebody. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, and uh, the ushers, they're going to pass out plates to you. The plates up here, they have bread and juice in them, and the bread represents to us Jesus' broken body, and the juice represents Jesus' shed blood for us. And these two things remind us of exactly what it was that Jesus went through so that we could stand before God clean and holy and pure and blameless, even though 
we were sinners in rebellion against God. We practice an open communion here, which means if you're a Christian joining us today, and you, uh, you are a part of another church, we welcome you to, to take communion with us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower in Jesus, and if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, I, I'd encourage you just to simply let the plates pass you by. Nobody will think anything of it, but uh, this is a proclamation. This is a proclamation that the core part of our identity is that Jesus died for us, and we are forgiven. And so we're going to take a, a moment of silence, and I, I invite you Take that moment of silence to simply reflect, give praise to God, be grateful for what he has accomplished for us. Celebrate in your heart what God has chosen to make us a part of. After we take that moment of silence, we'll sing a couple of songs and we'll eat and drink together. So would you be silent with me? Lord Jesus, as we reflect on exactly what it is that you endured so that we could be healed, so that we could be made right with God. Lord, would you inspire us to follow you all the more, even when that means we submit to people who are acting towards us unjustly. But I do, I thank you for all the privileges that we have. Lord, not everybody has the same privileges. But I pray that we would not let our value for independence and autonomy and freedom supersede our value for simple submission. Because this is your will. This is what you call us to. Lord, and in the midst of all of it, help us to always see the example of Jesus. Help us to always value and honor and respect the example of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.